Good morning, folks. I want to ask you to get your Bible this morning with me and turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. The book of Ephesians, chapter 4. And it was refreshing to get away and not to have anything to do but just to enjoy life for a minute and to reflect on who blesses and makes life worth living, Jesus. And today I come wanting to share a message with us that I think God has blessed me to see this. And I don't know about y'all, but when I start reading the Apostle Paul and I look at him, he always intimidates me. He's such an unbelievable, victorious, and great example of a Christian, and all of us so fall short of him. But as he writes today, he's writing to a church, he's in prison. It's one of the four prison epistles that he wrote. And the reason he's in prison, because he's been preaching Jesus, but primarily what's got him in trouble is he's preaching it to the Gentiles. He's not just bringing the message of the Israeli Messiah to Jews who will believe. He's bringing it to the Gentiles. And if you study the book of Acts, you'll see real quick that everywhere he went, he'd go to the, to the Jewish synagogue. He'd preach Jesus. They would reject Christ. So he'd go preach Jesus to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles were believing. This is a Gentile church he's writing to. Most of the churches in the New Testament that he got letters to, Corinth and Thessalonians and Thessalonians, were all Gentile churches, very few Jews. Today, the church as a whole is primarily a Gentile church. Very few Jews have embraced Jesus as their Messiah. They have rejected him, and because of that, God has raised up the church as his place to do his work of redemption, to win the world, to salvation, so that we can be with him in heaven. And if you look here today, because of that, we should be different. Paul's writing here, and I'm going to start in chapter 4 because I want to preach something particular that comes from the last preceding chapters. And I want you to see what Paul writes when you get to chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. He's a prisoner of the Lord. He's in prison as he writes. He says, I beseech you. What he's saying is, I'm begging you. I'm, I'm trying to get your attention to listen to me. That you walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness. With long suffering. Bearing with one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I want you to notice what he says right there in verse 4. There is one body, the church, there's only one. There's one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, Jesus, there is no other. There's only one faith that'll save you. That's the gospel of Jesus. One baptism that matters. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all, and in you all. And so he says, because of what God has done, this great calling that he's called you into this one body, into this one Lord, he's given you this one spirit, through this one baptism, he says, you need to walk worthy of your calling. I want you to look at verse 17. He says, this I say therefore, he's almost repeating himself, this therefore I say and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Guys, most of us in here is a Gentile. Is there any Jews in here? Is any of us Jewish? 
Can you trace back? See, we're all Gentiles. But thank God we're not like the rest of the Gentiles. Because we've encountered Christ. Do you remember what it was like just to be like all the rest of the Gentiles? Do you remember what it was like? Because Paul shows us a vivid picture of how we are now if we're truly saved, if we've been called. Look at what he says right here. He says that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Why is there futility in their mind? Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him. And if you haven't heard him, you haven't been called, my friend. You're still just a Gentile in the flesh, unsaved. And look at what he says. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. Guys, when Paul wrote this letter, Paul's letter to the Ephesian church is divided into two easy-to-identify sections. The first section is the first three chapters, and they primarily deal with Christian doctrine. Doctrine is what we teach, and we teach Christian doctrine so we'll know what to believe. As a matter of fact, the first three chapters are giving us the doctrine that reveals to us what we must believe if we're going to be a Christian, if we're going to be saved. But when you get to chapter 4, he switches over and he begins to teach to us about if we are saved and we have experienced the riches that are in Christ, and this first section emphasizes our riches in Christ, where the second section reveals to us our responsibilities in Christ. If you've been blessed with the riches of his grace and he saved you and he's shown you and he's enlightened you, then you have responsibilities in how you ought to live your life and walk every day. That's what he's talking about. And he says right here, if you look with me, he says, I beseech you in verse 1 to walk worthy of the calling in which you've been called. When you get to verse 17, he says, I say therefore and I testify in the Lord in the name of Jesus that you should no longer walk like the rest of the Gentiles in the world who are without God. Let me remind you and show you what he teaches us over in chapter 1. Look at what he says, I'm, I'm sorry, in chapter 2. Look at verse 11. Look at what he says. Therefore remember that you once Gentiles. How many of you can remember when you was once just a regular old Gentile without Jesus? Have you thought about that lately? Because I don't care if you've been in church from the day you was born and your parents drug you every Sunday and you've been in church every day your whole entire life, there was still a moment when you was just a regular, unsaved Gentile. And what does it look like according to the Word of God? There's religious, but then there's relationship. And friends, I want you to see what he says. Look at verse 11 of chapter 2. He says, therefore, remember that you once were Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision. Who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. That's the Jews made in the flesh. And look at what Jesus, look at Paul's reminding these Gentile believers who were just like us. Look at verse 12. 
that at that time, at that time, what time? Remember when you was once Gentiles, when you were like all the rest of the Gentiles who are outside of Christ. Let this open your heart this morning with the joy and the gratefulness that you should have in that Christ has come into your life and made you different than your neighbor who was without him. Look at what he says. That at that time you were without Christ. And because you were without Christ, he says, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Israel was the chosen people of God in the Old Testament. They were the Old Testament covenant people. Every one of us outside of Jesus and the New Testament covenant are outside in aliens, separated from God. That's how every one of our Gentile neighbors that live on our street are. And look at what he says right there. He says, at that time when we was just once Gentiles, you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Friends, listen, every single person you meet, every American that you encounter without Jesus, that's where he is. It's without God. He's an alien. He's separated. Paul says, if you look right here where we started out, he says they have the, their understandings darkened. They're alienated from the life of God. They don't have the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their heart. I'm reading this right from the word of God. That's describing your unsaved child. That's describing your lost grandkids. They're Gentiles. Separated from God. No covenant promise. No blessings outside of Christ gives you the life of God. But God's in Christ. You have everything God has to offer. You know how Paul starts out this letter? The third verse of chapter 3 says this. I mean chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You are blessed. Mr. and Mrs. Baptist, if you're saved, you ought to be shouting this morning. You ought to be standing with anticipation, with the expectation of having a time of worship with the God who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who chose you out of the world, and you're no longer like the rest of the Gentiles. You're no longer once a Gentile in the flesh. You've been saved by his grace, and you ought to be excited. That's a good time to amen, church. Jonathan, you, that was good. <laughs> Friends, listen, what's wrong with us? Have we forgot what Jesus has given to us? Because listen, you didn't choose him. He chose you. Go to chapter one with me. Let's look at the doctrinal things that he shows us, the things we need to believe to be saved. Look at what he says in verse four. Just as he chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. Look at that. He chose us in Jesus, his son. Verse 4, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Because we've been to the cross, because the blood has been applied, because we've been brought into Christ, now Jesus has made where now the Father sees us as holy, where he sees us in love. He doesn't see us as sinners now. Without blame. Look at what it says in verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. I don't know about y'all, but I was an orphan. 
We were all spiritual orphans. We were looking and we were lost and we were wondering, something's missing, but one day God showed up and chose us, amen? And our heart that was darkened and the life that was alienated from us, he saved us. And friends, listen what it says right there in that next verse. In him, look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of his sins. And I want you to notice what he says. According to the riches of his grace. You have that not according to your religious activity, not according to your works, but according to the riches of his grace. He chose you when you weren't looking for him. He called you and adopted you when you were separated from him and made you his family. Friends, look at this. He just gives you one thing after another that you can't help but to celebrate if you have a heart to understand it. And look at what he says when you get to chapter 2, verse 1. And he made you, he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. You see, everybody else, all the other lost people, Jews and Gentiles, in which, in which, which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. You know why? Because we were Gentiles in the flesh. We were alienated from the life of God. But look at verse 4. Man, this is what... Our doctrine teaches us the things God has done for us. And guys, the, the riches of his grace and the things that he's given us are unbelievable. Hard to believe it's true. But look at what he says in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And by grace you have been saved. Friends, why? Look at verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Jesus. Paul is preaching the riches of the grace that is in Jesus. When you get to chapter 3, look at verse 1 with me. And look at what he says. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ for you Gentiles. He said, I'm a prisoner for Christ for you Gentiles. He says, I'm the apostle of grace who's been called to minister to the Gentiles. And he says, I'm in prison because I'm preaching to y'all. I'm offering y'all the grace of God. I'm telling you that Jesus is the Israel, the Jewish Messiah, and they've rejected him. They buried, they, they killed him on a cross. They falsely accused him and arrested him. But on the third day, he rose again, and he lives, and he is the true Messiah. And they're believing it, and they're getting saved, and the Jews are getting madder by the moment. So Paul's been falsely accused, just like Jesus was falsely accused. And he's in jail because he's preaching Jesus to Gentiles, and Gentiles' lives are being saved. They're no longer alienated from the life of God. They're now members of the household of God. They've been adopted into the family of God. And Paul is preaching. It's a mystery. The Old Testament didn't see it coming. The prophets never seen it coming because it was a mystery. And look at what Paul says. He says, Jesus for the Gentiles, I preach to you in verse 1. Look at verse 2. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. Paul's saying, 
that this dispensation of grace was, by God was given to me for you. Why? I want you to look at this and catch it. How that by revelation, by revelation, God made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written. That's what we're looking at. All the doctrinal truths. All of the things of the riches that are in Christ. The things that we must believe as a Christian. And look at why is he showing it? Why is he writing it? Why did God reveal it to him? For people like me and you today could read it, understand it, and have it made real in our life. Look at what he says in verse 4. By which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Friends, I don't know about y'all, but it blows my mind that God left his people because they chose to reject him and chose us, the Gentiles, and he's saving us. And the church today is a primarily Gentile church. And friends, listen to what he says right there. Look at verse 5. Which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to the holy apostles and prophets. And look at what he says in verse 6. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, that's the church, and be partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. How do you become a partaker of God's grace? By embracing the gospel message and receiving it. That's what got Paul put in prison. And look at what he says in verse 8. To me who am less than all the least of the saints, this grace was given. What grace? The grace that revealed to him the mystery so that he could preach it among the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Do you see that? Friends, are you not overwhelmed by the fact that you have access, if you're really saved, to riches in Christ that are unsearchable to the human eye, that are unable for the human ear to hear? See, that's what he says. He said, God has provided for those who love him. He said, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor can it even enter into the heart of man the things that God has provided for those of us who love him. And friends, I don't know about y'all, the church today is so unexcited we're so concerned with everything but what God has done for us in Christ. And friends, listen. He says, to me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, guys, that's the first three chapters. He's given us Christian doctrine. He's revealing to us what we must believe. And the emphasis is all on the riches that are in Christ. But when you get to chapter 4, he switches over. And from here out, he starts to now preach about our Christian duty. Our duty reveals how we should now behave, how we should live, how we should walk every day. And the emphasis here now is not on the riches in Christ, but the responsibilities that we have in Christ. And friends, if you have experienced everything, just we've just took a glimpse. Go home. Sit alone with the Lord. Get your good cup of coffee. Turn everything off and say, Lord, show me in my heart. Enlighten my mind to understand chapters 1, 2, and 3 because I want to see these riches unsearchable that Paul was given to and wrote down so that I could read them and know them. I want to know them, Lord, I'm saved. And watch what he'll do. He'll, I, I, it'll just blow your mind the things that you just every day live not recognizing and realizing what God has done, not doing, done in our life. But friends, listen, the reason you don't see it, the reason you're just going through religious motions 
It's because most of us aren't walking the way grace gives us the ability and enablement to walk. See, if you've been called and you're no longer like the rest of the Gentiles, your heart is not like the lost world. Friends, it's no doubt that when you look at the lost leadership of the world today, that they totally are ruining everything. (laughs) They have no wisdom to bless others. They live for self. And if you think you can trust anything here, friends, listen, he tells us that now we are to walk worthy of the calling of God. And he says in verse 17, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should now You should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of mind. Why? Because their understanding is darkened. They don't understand. Why don't they understand? Because they're alienated from the life of God. It's right there in verse 18. Look at it with me. And because they're alienated from the life of God and their understanding is darkened, their ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. And guess what? You always hear people, I know, I'm just going to listen to my heart. Listen to your heart. Any man in here who listens to his heart is a fool. Because the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it, the Bible says. The heart of man outside of Christ is what causes all the problems we see. It's when Christ comes into our life and enlightens our heart. And look at what he says right here. He says, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all cleanliness with greed. That's what you see happening in our neighbors. They're after all the things here in this life. But he says, but we who have met Jesus, look at verse 20. You have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. If the truth is in Jesus, then we need to imitate Jesus. Amen? And he tells us that we need to walk a certain way. He says, walk worthy of your calling. If you're saved today, you should walk so different from regular unsaved Gentiles that they look at us and they can't figure out what happened to us. But we blend in and we're just like them. They come and get in here with us and they look like us because we're like them. And I'm preaching to Marvin this morning. Friends, listen, we... If we walk the way God wants us to walk, the world would see us for who we are in Christ. And the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He's not like he used to be. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things now are new. How has that happened? Because we don't walk like everybody else. We don't live like everybody else. Look at what Paul says when you get to chapter 5. He says, therefore, be imitators. There it is again, therefore. Why? Because of what all God has done, because of the riches of his grace that we have in Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. You know what the Bible says? That for those of us who are saved, those of us who are really in Christ, that we ought to walk in love, the same kind of love Jesus had. And you know what Jesus' love was? That he was so awesome that he offered himself to God for us. But today, everybody I run into, it's all about me, us. 
What do we get out of church if we come to your church? What does your church have to offer me and my family? What do you have to offer me? I don't have nothing to offer you but Jesus, friend. And if that ain't enough, if I offered you the rest of the world and could give it to you, it wouldn't be enough. Because if you ain't happy in Jesus and satisfied in his riches, his grace, you will never be satisfied, ever. But friends, in Jesus, man, when you walk in love, Jonathan, and you begin to love people like Jesus loved us, you begin to experience the love that Christ had that made him that way. The love that is of God. The love that comes from God. Look at what he says. How do you do that? Well, you start practicing what you preach, what you know. Look at verse 32. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. There are no perfect Christians. There ain't no perfect Baptists, I'm here to tell you. There ain't no perfect preachers, and there's no perfect church members, and there is no perfect country to move to. It's all jacked up <laughs> and no matter where you go the grass ain't greener on the other side of the fence you know what I've come to find if you ain't getting your life and purpose through Jesus you're going to be running around the rest of your life when Jesus comes he says the first thing he wants us to do is to love one another you know what Jesus said about loving each other he said in John chapter 10 verse 11 I am the good shepherd the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Jesus offered and gave his life. That's why he's the good shepherd. Then he says in chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Guys, the most important thing we can do once we're saved is love one another, not because they love us, not because they're like us, not because they deserve to be loved, but because they need to be loved. See, Jesus loved us when we were unlovable. When we were without Christ, God demonstrated his love toward us when we were in our sins that Christ died for us. And friends, listen, it's easy to love those who love you, who like you, who agree with you, it's hard to love some of the people that I read about in the news. But that's who Jesus loves. He loves, believe it or not, the most godless, Christ-hating, political opponent to righteousness, truth, and Jesus you'll ever see on Fox News just as much as he loves the most righteous, just person in here this morning. That's God's love. You say, we, we're not able to love like that. And you're right. But if God is in us and we walk with him, he's able to love through us. He says in John 15, 12, this is my commandment that I, it's a commandment, it's not an option, it's not a suggestion. In John 15, he says it again, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one in this than to lay down his life for his friend. These things I have commanded you that you love one another friends listen loving one another is important and that's the first thing you got to do is love one another but guys listen you know what else he says not only are we to love people and walk in love but we are to be examples of truth we're to walk in light 
See, there's a lot of us that love, but you don't have any truth. Then you got a lot of people that's got a whole lot of truth, but you don't have any love. And if you're all love, but you don't have any truth, and you don't live for righteousness, and you don't walk in goodness of God, and the things that God says is true, and you can love, 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 but you're way on the wrong side. That's what liberalism is. Liberalism is love with no truth. Truth is what legalism is. Truth, truth, truth. Beat you over the head with the Bible. Don't do this. Don't do that. Jump through this religious hoop. Jump through that religious hoop. Dress like us. Act like us. Talk like us or you ain't welcome here. That's legalism. And it'll hurt you as bad as liberalism when you lean one way too far the other. See, as we walk in love, we still have to always walk in the light. And that's how you live your life as a Christian because of what God has done for you. You can do it. He gave you the riches to do it with. His grace. Look at what Paul says with me right here. Look at chapter 5. Look at what he says in verse 8. For you once, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, so walk as children of light. What's it mean to walk as a child of light? Look at that. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Friends, as we read Christian doctrine and we look at the riches of God's grace and what grace is made available and what God has done for us and we walk in love, then we walk in truth. Look, if you're not going to walk in the light, you're not going to experience the greatest goodness of God. And it says right here that this truth, which is the light, is what makes us righteous and brings us into the goodness as we find out what is acceptable to God. Y'all ever remember that song we used to sing when we were little kids? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Well, we each got a light if we're saved. But where did the light come from? Remember what it says? Jesus gave it to me, but I'm going to let it shine. Jesus gave it to me, but I'm going to let it shine. But also remember that other verse, oh, so true. The devil's trying to put it out. <laughs> He's always trying to put it out. You know, how he tries, you know how he puts it out? He gets you to reject truth. He gets you to not worry about righteousness. He gets you to think that goodness of God is not going to matter whether you walk in the truth or not. But guys, what is good and acceptable to God is very important to a child of God if we want to experience the fullness of his goodness. That's why how you walk in life, how you live your life, is very, very important important it's not just about getting saved do the best you can live however you want die and get to go to heaven if you want heaven to come to you if you want to experience Christ's life if you don't want to be alienated from the life of God now if you want a heart that's not darkened if you want to know what God's riches and his grace have to offer you today in this life you got to be real careful how you walk you can't walk like a fool. And there are way too many fools in the church today. You have to walk with wisdom. And look at what Paul says right here. Man, he popped me with this this week. Look at verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectively, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. How many of you realize there's evil everywhere you go? 
If you just go any old way, you're going to end up in the midst of it. And if you get in the midst of it too long, it's going to get in you. And there's all too many of us full of evil because we went places we shouldn't have went. We walked ways we shouldn't have walked. Friends, I'm going to show you what that's saying right there. In another translation, in the Holman Bible translation, it says, pay careful attention. When he says walk circumspectively, that's what he's saying. Pay careful attention how you walk. And what he's saying, he's not talking about walking, but walking is so good of an illustration of life. He's saying, be careful, pay attention to how you live your life, how you walk. Walking, to walk, you got to first stand. But to stand, you got to be willing to make an effort to take a step. And then you got to trust enough to take another step. You got to be willing to keep making steps. And as you take out the journey of life that God has for you, He will lead you by love, He will lead you by His light. And friends, as you look at his light and you live in his love, he will give you a life that is not like the rest of the Gentiles. That is like only his adopted children get to have. And friends, listen. He says right there, walk circumspectively, making the most of the time. When he says redeeming the time, what's he saying? Making the most of the time. Have you figured out when this day is gone, it's gone? Last week is gone, it ain't coming back. And what you do with your life, I don't know if you figured this out yet. I was really looking at this. We've seen some people that we hadn't seen in 23 years that we loved. We led some of them to the Lord. We baptized them. They call us. They talk to us. But I've seen them. 23 years will do some damage to a human being. <laughs> they looked at me and said, Preacher, you done got gray. And you're fat. And I said, have you looked in a mirror, brother? <laughs> One of them was, I'm getting, pray for me, I'm getting knee replacement surgery on December the 3rd. <laughs> I'm like, well, pray for me, I just got through having colon surgery back last month. <laughs> but friends, that's not the kind of evil you need to worry about. That's physical damage because of sin. The kind of evil we need to wake up to is the spiritual damage that's happening to each one of us because we're not careful where we walk. We're not being wise. We live as fools and we're reaping a fool's result in our families, in our marriages, in our relationships with our children because Christ is not the anchor anymore. He's not our solid foundation he is when trouble comes. Get me out of trouble. But he is not where we walk on a day-to-day -day walk in this life anymore in the church. Because not only does he say that we are to walk in love, we are to walk in truth, the light. We are to walk in wisdom, circumspectively, paying careful attention to how and where we walk. But this is the one where we all fail especially me, we are to walk in submission. We're not to walk as if I'm in charge. The person who lives his life where he's always in charge, where it always has to be his way, where he doesn't get any counsel, he does everything the way he wants to do, that person will every time ruin his life because that's fooled by pride and selfishness.
And grace doesn't come anywhere near that. God says he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the pride. The humble says, I need help. I need a soulmate. I need a partner. And so what does he do? Look at verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Why would I submit to you? I don't fear some of you. There might be a couple of you I fear because you're crazy enough that I know you could do something to me. Most of you, I don't fear men. I really don't. But I, I, you know why I would submit to other men? Because that's what God says to do. And friends, I don't know if you figured this out yet, ladies, but if you ain't submitted to your husband, just as the church is submitted to Christ, your marriage will never experience all the riches that God's grace has to offer it. Look at what it says. Brother Marvin, you male chauvinist. No, I'm just a biblicist. Look at what it says. Why? Look at the next verse. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. You know why a lot of households is hell holes? Because people ain't submitting to one another no more. You know why we don't submit to one another? Because we don't submit to him. And we reap the results. And we think, I'm wise. I got a better idea. I can do it myself. I know what's best for me. Don't tell me what to do with this family woman. First eight years of my marriage, it was that way. And boy, did I mess it up. If you don't think I'll listen to that lady, now she don't tell me everything to do, but I do know that I've been around her long enough that I need to listen to her advice sometimes. Because I want you to think about this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. The, the greatest proof of submission is surrender. And men, we're to love our wives the same way Jesus loved the church. He gave his life for her. He was submitted to the Father's plan. Can I get an amen? And friends, I want you to think about it. Someone says the sacrifice. You know, they said it's kind of like the egg and the chicken. I mean, the, um, the chicken and the, the pig. You ever heard this? They gave a sacrifice for breakfast. Chicken said, I gave an egg. The pig said, I gave bacon. <laughs> the pig gave everything. The chicken just gave an egg. We ain't supposed to. Y'all didn't get that, did you? Y'all must not be breakfast eaters. But anyway, let me get back to what I'm talking to. Children will be submissive to their parents. Look at what it goes on and says right here, and we're going to close up. When you get down to chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents. In the Lord, for this is right. You see, wives will be submitted to their husbands. Husbands will be surrenderly spirits submitted to their wives to the point they give up their life for her. And the children are to be obedient to their parents and be submissive to them. In the Lord, if you're a Christian. If you ain't a Christian, do whatever you want. But if you are a Christian, do what he says to do. But guys, listen, this is what really gets to me. Verse 5 says, bond servants. That means employees in our day and time. Be obedient to those who are your masters. What that's saying is, employees, be obedient to your boss. Boy, we lost that in America, didn't we? Do you do it for you'll get a good check? Do you did it for you'll make a good living? That's not what Paul says. 
He says, if you are a slave, a bondservant, you be obedient to your master according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity heart as if you are doing it to Christ. Look at that. Not with eye service as a man pleaser, but as a bond slave of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Boy, that gets to me. And look at what he says. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from his paycheck. No, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he's a boss or an employee, whether he's a master or a slave. We are to be obedient by being submissive to God's ways. And then finally, he wants us to walk in victory and power. Look at what he says when he says, put on the whole armor of God. Look at verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. If you ain't standing, it's because you've already fallen. And you got to stand to walk. Can I get an amen? If you ain't standing in the power of the Lord, you're not going to walk in the power of the Lord. And if you're not walking in the power of the Lord, you're not going to live and experience the power and strength of the Lord. And that's what he says right there. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. How? By walking according to the calling, being worthy of that call, not like the rest of the unsaved Gentiles. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Friends, God wants us to stand this morning. Some of us ain't been walking right. Because you haven't been standing right. Well, today is your blessed day. Because the riches of grace said it. All you got to do is repent. All you got to do is look at your life and say, man, I'm so far from that. I am. God, I need an adjustment. God said, you need more than an adjustment. You need a spiritual revelation. You need to be revived. You need to be restored. Some of us in here this morning need to be saved. You've been religious for a long time, but you ain't never had anything radically interrupt and change your life because of Jesus. Friends, Paul lays it out, don't he? If you believe in the gospel, you ought to live for the gospel. If you believe in Christ, you ought to live in Christ. So today, I'm going to invite us to really examine our hearts and really do an experiment. Am I walking in love? Do I love my neighbor like Jesus does? Am I walking in the light? Or maybe I've wandered off into the darkness. You can come back this morning. And am I being wise? Am I making the most of every day? Am I redeeming the little bit of time I have here while I'm on earth? Or am I wasting it with foolishness? Or am I being wise? And then finally, am I truly submissive to Christ to the point I'm submissive to my spouse? I'm submissive to my boss? I'm submissive to whoever God has put authority over me. Not because of them, but because of Jesus. And if you do that, you'll be walking in victory. You'll have the power of Christ on your life because that's who he empowers. We're going to pray. We're going to stand. Brother Jonathan's going to come. Brother Jonathan, do you mind just singing this morning by yourself? Brother Jonathan's going to sing. And I'm going to invite you. Do you right now have the life that you want to have in Christ? Is your life the way you want it to be? Is everything in order? 
If you died right now, judgment day real, are you ready to stand before Jesus and give an account? Or is there some things in our lives that maybe we can fix? Because you know the good thing about walking? You can always change your course. You can always turn around. You can always choose the right path when you've been on the wrong path. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. Jesus is the way. Make a new commitment. Maybe you need to recommit your life to Christ today. Maybe you need to be saved. Maybe there's some areas in your life you want to come and lay at this altar. Jonathan's going to sing. I'm going to say a prayer. And we're going to stand as we now choose how we're going to walk this day for Jesus. Father, I thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the privilege to be called into your life, to have Christ in us, over us, and to be able to live a way that others don't get to live because of your grace and the riches of your mercy. Father, today I pray for the person in this room who's not saved that you, as you call them, they would respond and they would come and they would walk an aisle or they would just raise a hand. They would do whatever they need to do to get to where they need to be. Help them to take that first step in the walk towards salvation. And for those of us this morning who are saved, help us to walk in sanctification and truth and life in the Spirit. Help us to follow Jesus, Lord. And Lord, right now, this is your time to work in our lives so help us to use it wisely to redeem this time to make this day count to do what you want to do in each one of our lives as we make decisions based upon what you've shown us this morning help us to obey and submit in Jesus name